I want to start this morning with sharing with you the secret to a fulfilling marriage covenant. You're like, well, I thought we were talking about trusting God. I know, I know, I know. Stick with me. I want to tell you the secret to a fulfilling marriage covenant. A marriage where oneness and unity and openness abound in the foundation of every delight and every pleasure and every good thing that a marriage relationship was designed to be is yours in abundance. I want to tell you about this. Are you ready for the secret? Up and down means yes. Okay, good, right? Here it is. It's called compartmentalization. There are areas of my life that as soon as I met Jen, I knew that she would never have access to those areas. There are segments of my life prior to her and even now that she has no access and no involvement in. And because I keep her locked out of whole segments of our life, our relationship is really better off. Um, I mean, she doesn't know about some of the sins I struggle with and I, and I love her enough to keep those away from her. And, and, and having, I mean, really think about it. Having access to all of that would just cause conflict and I'd rather not have to deal with all that stuff and it would just, it'd just be messy. And then I'd have to change who wants that? And so it's really, really optimal for a healthy marriage relationship and for building trust that I keep all those doors locked and, and whole portions and areas of my life cordoned off that she can't gain access to. What are you thinking? He's insane. That's not a healthy marriage. That's not a healthy relationship. He's nuts. That's the exact opposite of what makes for a healthy relationship, a God-honoring, Jesus-centered marriage, right? It's the the antithesis. So why, when we enter into covenant relationship with the God of the universe, the one who made us, do we attempt to close off whole rooms in our house and board up windows and shut doors and put keep out signs up all over our house? What is it in us that allows us to see clearly how silly and ridiculous that approach would be in a marriage relationship, but to think that we can get get away with it when it comes to the God who made us? And we, and we all do that, don't we? We all have that propensity. And so what I want to say to each one of you this morning in no uncertain terms is that God does not want part of you. God does not want a portion of your life. God doesn't want a segmented, fragmented, and compartmentalized relationship where he only has limited access to you and what you do. He wants all of it. He wants all of your life. He wants all of you. 100% of who you are is what he desires. He loves you. I mean, he sent his son to die for you. He sent his son to the cross. You're made in his image. You're made in his image. And then, and then he bought you back out of slavery to sin and fear and death by the blood of his son, Jesus. So you, you and I have no right, no right to deny God access to any portion of our lives for any reason at all, period, period. And so Proverbs 1, Solomon would begin uh, his section of the Proverbs with one of the, the, the most powerful and precise admonitions in scripture. And he would say that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of understanding and knowledge, right? And so this is really important to us is we, we're gonna spend six weeks talking about trust God. Trust God. In, in the book of Proverbs, it's important for us to start where he starts with the fear of the Lord. It's the beginning of wisdom. So if the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of knowledge and understanding, then then that's one way of saying that you're never ever gonna move away from that point. There'll never be a time when you graduate beyond that 
It's really important. You embrace it. It's the beginning of wisdom. And to, to move away from it means to move to the place where we're not, we're not seeking the wisdom of God. We're trying to be wise in our own eyes, wise in our own understanding. And, and that's not gaining wisdom. It's, it's moving beyond the fear of the Lord and into self-reliance and, and not in fullness of relationship to him. He invites us to go deeper in reverence, not away from reverence. And so to trust anything other than the Lord results in disaster. And Proverbs is just filled with practical wisdom, much of it calling us consistently back to dependence upon God and his ways and his, his way of doing things. And it's a collection of wisdom sayings that again and again call us to trust God fully with all that we have and with all that we are. And, and, and it never, you'll never find a proverb that says, just trust God with half of your will. Just trust God with half of your belongings. It never sections out in fragments and compartmentalizes our lives for us. It's an all-in book. So let's look at chapter three this morning and some of the wisdom from the Lord found in chapter three. And we're gonna read Proverbs three, verses five to 12. Now, if you, if you have your mobile device and you, and you have the YouVersion Bible app, if you go to the menu and click events, you'll see Emmaus Road Church and you can follow along in my sermon notes if that helps you. Proverbs 3, 5 through 12 says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with new wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Now, as we dig into this passage this morning, I want to unpack for you K-A-B-S, CABS. Really helpful, an acronym. Whenever I'm sitting down to, to, to talk to somebody and they're just having a challenge and, and there's developmental holes in somebody's life, whether that's relational or, or informational or just a knowledge thing, failure to move forward, failure to grow and to embrace new realities is almost always rooted in KABS. It's either a knowledge problem, an attitude problem, a behavior problem, or a skill set that's missing. Okay, KABS, CABS. So knowledge is... I didn't know. If you were here last week and you walked away from that sermon, you go, I didn't know that God wants a portion of my income as an offering. I, did, I, did, I just didn't know. I'd never, I haven't read the Bible that, for that long. I've not been a Christian very long. I didn't know. That's an easy fix. That's an easy fix. Now you know. And if you grew up in the 80s and you watched G.I. Joe after school, then you know that knowing is half the battle, right? Thank you, uh, G.I. Joe, right? But knowing is only the, uh, it's not really half the battle, it's just a tiny sliver of the problem because the next one's really the big one, it's your attitude. Attitude is frustrating to me. It's about 90% of the issue, right? Because I can't change your attitude. I'd like to. I'd like to have control. I'd like to have semi-omniscience and omnipotence to be able to shift your attitude. I can't, I can't do that. Sometimes I have trouble doing it for myself right? So attitude's a big problem and, 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 it, and it, it frustrates me. You know, God can change your attitude. You can yield to him and, and invite him to change your attitude. And when we resist him in the attitude area, it's, it's 
typically painful. Behaviors can be changed. Accountability in the body of Christ is great for that. And then skill sets can be learned, can be imparted, right? So we can talk about how we move forward, but watch this as we go through uh, this section of Proverbs 3. All along the way, you're going to see these admonitions and these things that God calls us to. And then what I want you to do is like in your mind or on paper or wherever to say, oh, I, I didn't know that. That's a K. Or oh, I don't want to do that. <laughs> that's your attitude, right? Or I, I, can't, I can't do that right now because I'm doing other things that are in the way of that. Well, that's a behavior. Or you're saying, I, I want to do that, but I don't know how. That's a skill, right? So just kind of be mindful of that as we go through Proverbs 3, 5 through 12. And we're framed here with three admonitions. I've broken into three sections. Here they are. And, and, and in classic Sadie fashion, they they sound alike, they rhyme, uh, deny self-sufficiency. He's going to tell us to deny self-sufficiency, embrace a God dependency, and develop disciplined consistency. You should probably look at my notes. It's going to be hard to remember. Here we go. Uh, develop, de- deny self-sufficiency. The beginning of chapter three. So Solomon has this appeal. It's the third paternal appeal because he begins the chapter with my son. And we're not in verse one, but I'm just kind of giving you the run up. He says, he, he calls to, to wisdom and the grounds, uh, wisdom of the grounds for heeding that call to live in the light and the fear of the Lord, to cultivate faithfulness and humility. And he goes on to talk about um, obeying the instructions of God. And that when we do that, it brings favor and success. And he built in safeguards against the prosperity gospel in Proverbs so that we're not prone to think that it's some formulaic thing that we can just make God do what we want him to do. And then you get to verse five. He says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. So not just some mental assent to the right information or facts about God. That's not what this is. It's trust it's, it's relying on it. The, the, the word is to lean on something the way you would lean on a crutch, right? And, and so, I, as a, especially in the campus ministry days, doing a lot of open-air evangelism and open-air preaching, I, I'd talk to atheists who would hurl this accusation at me and say, Jesus is your crutch. And I'd be like, heck yeah. Yeah, he is. That's not an insult, man. It's like some days I feel like crutch is not good enough. Like I need like Jesus to be my gurney. I got to lay down on this thing because I can't even stand, right? So this, this heart, uh, he says, trust the Lord with all your heart, not the meat pump in your chest that runs on donuts. Okay, but your, your heart in Hebrew is the, is the seat of your emotions and the seat of your intellect and the seat of your will. And it's an invitation to commit your inner life to God instead of seeking independence from him. To come, in, to come into the place of full reliance and full dependence, to put your full weight down on him. It was, uh, it was 1939 and an old Model T4 was pulled over on the side of this dirt road with the hood up and a young guy was trying to get it running. He's tinkering. He couldn't fix whatever it was that was broken. He couldn't quite diagnose it. And uh, without, uh, without hearing it, this, this other car pulled up behind him, this chauffeur-driven, really nice car, and this old man got out of the car and walked around both vehicles and came to the front of the car that was broken down, this Model T. And he was watching this guy tinker for a minute, just, you know, kind of being awkward and quiet. And, and, and finally he says, um, if you'll just reach over there and turn that, okay, now, now reach underneath and just, just flip that thing. Now, if you go around the side and just get back in and crank it, it'll run just perfect. And the young man was just kind of baffled. 
Uh, he had tried for uh, quite some time, so he, he was prone to kind of just play along. He did what the old man said and got back in the car, and sure enough, the engine started up. It was running like brand new. He was so amazed. He looked at the old man. He said, well, how did you know exactly what was wrong with this car and how to fix it? He said, well, I'm Henry Ford. I made this car. I know how it works. That makes a difference, doesn't it? It makes a difference when the maker of the thing is standing there telling you, hey, if you'll just turn that knob and you just flip that switch, it'll, it'll run like it's supposed to run. God has graciously given us wisdom in his word. Nobody knows us better than the creator. Nobody knows us better than our savior. Nobody is equipped to better fix us to do his will and to walk in obedience. And so we'd be really wise to just say, you know, I don't, I don't know. Would you please show me what I need to do to, to get this thing called my life just running right? again to get it going? And if your trust is in something like your career, your relationships, your money, your health, if, if your trust is in a thing that can, can go away with a single phone call, you're building your life on sand. Right? If, if, all, if all it takes is a phone call to wreck your whole life, you've built it on shifting sand. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And then, and then verse six, it says, in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Now, acknowledging him is thinking about him in all of our ways. It means to invite his presence into our day all day long, into all of our activities, into all of our conversations, into all of our thoughts, into all of our decision-making. Right, that we're just so prone to that compartmentalization. It's like, wow, Jesus is Sunday, definitely Sunday morning is Jesus time. And I try to have a devotional last just like, I don't know, 30 minutes on most mornings if I'm faithful. And it's like, no, 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 no. In all your ways, acknowledge him. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Putting the pursuit of acknowledging him in our lives necessarily requires humility. Right? We've got to be humble before him. It's recognition that our wills are subjected to a higher will. His will comes before our will. His power and his presence are prior to our very existence. And the reality is that we're dependent upon him. Our life, our breath, our everything. I mean, the air that you breathe is not... You didn't make it. You're borrowing. And you're not giving it back. I think that's called stealing. Uh, he gave it freely, Right? Praise God, he gave it to us. So acknowledging God in this way undercuts and short circuits thinking more highly of yourself than you ought to think. Because when you go through the day going, God, thank you for your blessings. Oh God, I didn't know how I was gonna handle that situation at work. It was just so out of control and you stepped in and you made a way and I didn't get fired. <laughs> I didn't even get demoted. Lord, thank you. It just short circuits it short circuits thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. And this way, acknowledging him in all your ways, trusting in him. Uh, I was thinking about Isaiah 50, verse 10 and 11 this week. Isaiah, Isaiah says this. He says, who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness, you're walking through your life and suddenly you hit this patch where you can't see and you don't know quite what to do and you don't know how to respond to the situation and it's just dark. You're, you can't see what's supposed to be. He says, if you're walking in darkness and you don't have any light, here's what you're supposed to do. Trust in the name of the Lord and rely on your God. And then he says this, he says, now in contrast to that, behold, anybody who'd want to kindle their own fire and equip themselves with burning torches, in other words, try to make their own way and figure this thing out and do it in their own power. He says, here's what you will receive from my hand. You will lie down in torment. 
It's just this clear admonition to say when you're in that place and you're, it's dark, you just stop. Stop and pray and just wait upon the Lord. Press in to hear from him and let him deal with the situation and give you light and shine his light on the path in front of you so that you know where to go. And don't try to light your own torch and make your own way. It was so great. God brought me that scripture through a mentor and friend when I was wrestling with whether or not to marry Jen. I mean, this has been a long time ago. I'm really old, right? And, and, and I was wrestling with this. I want to marry this girl. And it was on again and off again. And in my immaturity and my impatience, it didn't really help her because she's in this place of feeling insecure and indecisive. And I do like you and I think I love you and I think God's in this. But then the thought of marrying you is really horrifying to me. And I'm like, wow, that's great for my ego. Thank you so much. And, and we're just trying to figure all that out. Right, just trying to work through all that stuff, and and that God just gave me that verse through my mentor, my discipler, and and it was just it was such a sweet thing. It was hard, but it was really sweet because like, okay, God's speaking to me, and He's saying, stop trying to make this happen. Don't try to shoehorn this in to what you want it to be. Wait on me, wait on me, and I needed God's word to give me wisdom and an approach to a life situation. I needed a totally different perspective from the Lord. I needed to pray and I needed to just give it to him and not, not try to make it happen on my own. It would have ended in certain disaster if I had tried to make it happen on my own. And we need to allow our minds to be shaped by the word of God. We need to, what does Isaiah 55 say? His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts, right? So we need to just sit at his feet and say, Lord, please speak to this situation. Please give me wisdom for what I'm dealing with in my life. Because what seems reasonable to us is not always right to God. So remember, God doesn't want part of you. He doesn't want part of your life or a segment of it. He wants all of it. He wants all of you. So he goes on in verse seven. He says, be not wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. So this, this idea that humility springs out of a fear and reverence from God, for God and the moral decisions that we make as the people of God, uh, they, they impact our physical health. They impact our bodies. Uh, we, we wouldn't, what does scripture say? Paul says to the Corinthians, do not defile the temple of the Holy Spirit, right? Because that's a, that's a reality, it's a reality. In the same way that we ingest food and, and the food we eat, if I, steady diet of sugar and carbs for weeks and weeks and weeks, it's going to affect my body, right? It's going to impact my health. And if we, whatever we feed our spirits on impacts our spiritual health. What are you watching? What are you reading? What are you listening to consistently? Does it honor Jesus? What's the worldview? Listen, there is nothing that you could consume in terms of media that is actually benign and neutral. There's nothing neutral. There's always a worldview being communicated. Sometimes it's overt and it's easy to spot really quickly and sometimes it's subtle. And if you watch a steady dose of like sitcoms, well, you're going to start to think that all husbands are stupid and that the dog's the smartest guy in the house, and right? I mean, just, just watch. Just watch what the world's feeding us, right? So just be smart about that. and Be smart. Let it, let it be healing and refreshing to your bones. Turn away from evil. And, and the Proverbs talk about healing and refreshing. You ever feel weary just right down deep in your bones, just weary? Man, I sure have. I find a correlation between those times of deep weariness and I look back and I go, yeah, I can see that I've been in a season where I've been operating in my own strength and effort and wisdom. <laughs> it's this funny thing. It's like clockwork, 
I mean, I just, I'm so tired. I'm so worn out. Lord, why am I so exhausted? And then I start to just do a little evaluation. I go, oh, oh, yeah. I've been operating in my own strength. Oh, I mean, hey, you know, I'm a pastor, right? I mean, I, I give the nod to God. I'm like, yeah, you're there. I know. I, know. I prayed this morning for like five minutes. I, I, I acknowledge your presence, Lord, and I ask for your provision. But when it comes to getting life done, Man, I'm just like head down, chugging along with all my best thoughts and all my best effort, wearing myself out. Wearing myself out. And, and that's never more true than in church planting. And you know, I, I know I've shared this before, but I read all those success stories um, and dozens of church planters who went from 50 to 200 in two years and the, all the undeniable, unbreakable laws of church growth that guarantee success if I'll just embrace the wisdom of men and, and, uh, and, and focus on drawing a crowd instead of pressing in to hear God and, and hear his heart and lean solely on him. It's so tempting. It's so tempting. And it's exhausting. I call it the hamster wheel. I don't want to be on the hamster wheel. Right? And once again, I... I just come back, I climb up into Papa's lap and I just tell him how silly I've been, how weary I am from trying to do it all on my own and there's just refreshing in his presence. There's a newness and a, and a refreshing that comes to you when you do that. You just sit and say, man, I'm so sorry, Lord. I, I did it again. I did it again. I relent. I just need your, I need your refreshing. So deny self-sufficiency. Doesn't work. It doesn't work. And then here's the second one. It says embrace a God dependency. Embrace being dependent upon God. Look at verse nine and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats be bursting with wine. He says, honor the Lord with your wealth. And we talked about that last week. We talked about the parable of the rich fool and uh, that our wealth is one of the chief indicators of the state of our hearts whether we're actually surrendered to God and his ways or whether we're hoarding uh, resources out of fear, right? And so we're, we're told to offer our first fruits to the Lord. And, and let me just stop and say that this, is, uh, this generalization uh, concerns the effects of honoring the Lord and it's not meant to be a mechanical formula. When we try to take Proverbs, any, any part of Scripture, make it into a mechanical formula, uh, it dishonors God and it, it diminishes his purposes in the world. It downplays the reality of the relationship that he wants with each one of us. It's a relationship, not a formula, right? But if we faithfully give to God a portion of our increase, his word says he will abundantly bless us. The trick is blessings are not always financial in nature, Right? So we don't give going, I'm going to get 10 times as much money back, right? Our obedience to, to give in faith, the first fruits of our increase will result in blessings, but those blessings take a variety of forms. And some of them come now, and some of them come later in life, and some of them come after you've died and you're in heaven. You don't get all the blessings now, right? And so there's an investment in the kingdom that's happening. And we do it in faith. And many of those blessings do come in this life and some in the next. And, and, and even this week I was reading, I came upon a church that I, I, I know uh, of in the Midwest and I was reading on their website again. And uh, they had posted their, what they call the tithe challenge. And, and the tithing challenge is just see what God will do for the next three months as you tithe, your family tithes to the church. And then here's the, here's the byline at the bottom. It says, and if, and if God hasn't blessed and, and, and moved in your heart, we will refund your tithe for the last three months. And I'm like, boy, I'm just not there as a pastor. I'm just not quite there. I'm just like, I don't know that I want to, 
offer that to people and be like, you know, if you're just not satisfied with the way God's blessed you or not, then we'll just write you a check for your tithe for three months. And I'm just like, no, I'm not, I'm not there. But I am at the place um, after a week of study to say something provocative when it comes to honoring the Lord with our first fruits. And those of you that know me go, oh, really? You know, say something provocative? That's not like you. Um, here it is. Can we stop tipping God? Can we just stop tipping God as a, as a blood-bought, born-again Christ follower? The basis of our worship, the basis of our relationship to God is the infinite, incalculable value of the blood of Jesus Christ, right? We agree on that. And all through the Old Testament, the call that God puts on his covenant people is to bring in the first fruits of all they produce to him, crops, flocks, even firstborn children dedicated to his purposes. You bring me the first and the best and you offer it to me, not knowing whether there'll be more. It's a faith step, right? It's, it's, it's called first fruits because it's first. It's funny how words work. And there's no guarantee that there's going to be more. And you're bringing to God the first portion or percentage in faith because of who he is and what he's done. It can't be valued in terms of money and possessions. But that is not how most of us in the 21st century church in America think about worshiping God with our wealth. Our propensity is to wait and see. If all of my needs are met and all of my wants are satisfied and then out of what's left, I'll take a sliver and I'll just kind of throw it God's way, right? That's kind of our attitude. And so here's how it plays out. We come to church and the worship experience is moving and the sermon in teaching is solid and we got the feels. And so on the way out the door, we're like, hey, good job, Holy Spirit, nice job. Here's a little something for you. That's, that's called tipping. It's called tipping. And, 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 and that's not what God's word calls us to. So remember, God doesn't want part of you. He doesn't want part of your life, a portion. He wants all of it. He wants all of you. And the deepest motive for the Christ following, giving to the kingdom through the local church is a deep sense of gratitude over what God has done for us through Christ. And if your heart is not welling up with gratitude, you're not thinking rightly about your salvation and what God has done, right? Honoring God with our resources is an essential part of the Christian life. Listen, you're funding the ministry of the local church. You're allowing the pastors and ministers to devote themselves fully to the ministry God's called them to instead of having to divide their time and energy with another means of providing for their family. Not only are you funding the church and the ministry of the church, you're impacting the community around you. You're impacting the region. You're impacting the nations. I put the, I put the annual report out on the table back there for you to look at. 2018, we gave, this, this church gave $17,646 away to missions, church planning, and local outreach. And my impulse as a pastor is to say, man, that's a tremendous impact for such a small church. But you know what the sad reality is? And I know lots of pastors all over the country. Our, our little church is, doing, is having more impact than a lot of churches twice and three times our size. And that's not to brag on us. That's to brag on the Lord. In 2019, I want more. I want to do more for the kingdom right? I want to do more, but we can't afford to ignore these verses. We can't afford to slide the Holy Spirit a tip once in a while and think that Jesus's church is going to be vibrant and effective. Just doesn't work. So honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all you produce. And so here's the, here's a summary so far. We we talked about, we got to deny self-sufficiency. We have to embrace a God dependency. And then here's the third one. We have to develop disciplined consistency. 
And the great part is, we don't have to discipline ourselves. God will discipline us. And so oh, I'm not sure I think that's a great verse or a great reality. It is. It is. Listen to what he says. My son, my child, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him who he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. So the Lord's discipline is on his children because, because he loves them. Because he loves them. He loves us. And discipline is not just reactive. You parents know this, right? We, we tend to think discipline is reactive. Child disobeys, child does something wrong. There's punishing or correction in response to that. That's reactive discipline. But the bulk of discipline, if you're a good mommy and a good daddy and in, you're raising kids, you know that the bulk of discipline is proactive, not reactive. It's investing time to train your children. It's, it's, it's spending time with them, just investing in them emotionally so that they know that you care about them so that they respond to you and you have to correct them. And, and that's the thing that God does more of, right? It's a Proactive. It's a training in righteousness. In fact, the same root word discipline is the, is the word disciple. It's to be discipled, right? And isn't, I just think somewhere in Matthew's gospel, there's, some, there's like a commission or something about going into the world and making those. And so, so parents, wouldn't, wouldn't you rather invest in and train your child and reap the fruit of their obedience rather than constantly having to correct and, and, and punish of course, of course you would. And if, and if we feel that way about our own kids, how much more does our Heavenly Father who loves us? He, he doesn't want to spend all this time correcting and, 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 and redirecting. He, he wants to invest in us and direct us and disciple us. And when it comes to the discipline of the Lord, there's probably not a more concise chapter than Hebrews 12. Let me just read 12, 3 to 11 for you so you get a perspective on this. The writer of Hebrews says this. He says, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, meaning Jesus, right? So that you don't grow weary or faint-hearted. So just stop and think about what Jesus endured when you feel like you're getting beat up. Just be like, <laughs> I didn't even, not even a fraction of what Jesus endured, right? In your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And, you, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons, as, as children of God? He says, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Don't be weary when reproved by him. He's quoting the proverb we just read. For the Lord disciplines the one that he loves. He chastises every son that he receives. Hebrews goes on to say, it's for discipline you have to endure. God's treating you as sons. What son is there whom the father does not discipline? In fact, if you are left without discipline, if you've never received the discipline of the Lord in which we've all participated, you're not legitimate children. You're not his kid. Besides all this, we had earthly fathers who disciplined us. We respected them for it. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they, dis- they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. But God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields a peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So again, if you're not receiving discipline, proactive and reactive, you're not a child of God. Sometimes it's painful, but it's designed to bring about the fruit of righteousness in us if we'll yield to it and let our hearts be trained by it. God doesn't want part of your life. He wants all of your life. He wants all of you. I was thinking about my personal journey in ministry, 20 years now in ministry, 21 years walking with the Lord. 
and, and this idea of leaning not on your own understanding, but devoting all your ways to him. And I, it's so funny to think about this progression of understanding that only comes through walking with the Lord. It only comes through just daily pressing into him. I did not know even a fraction of the things that I know today about the Lord. I didn't understand ministry at all as a 23-year-old. I had no, I had, I, man, boy, I thought I did, right? Most, most you know, it's like, well, I got it all figured out. I know what's wrong with the church and I know how to fix it all and, and, and God was gracious. He disciplined me, right? He taught me. I firmly believe that God could not have said to me at age 23, you're gonna go plant a church, church in Western Washington and lead and shepherd that church and impact the community region in the world. I could not have heard that. I would not have understood that. But every faith step over the last 21 years has brought me to this point. And every step beyond is taking me deeper with the Lord in relationship with him and what he asks for me, right? And that's, that's why it's called a walk. We walk with the Lord because it's like hiking down the trail. Like, and I tell, I tell younger guys this all the time. I'm not smarter than you, better than you. I'm just further down the trail than you. I started the path before you started the path. And so if I'm calling back down the trail saying, watch out for that root sticking out so you don't trip, it's only because either somebody told me about the root or I I tripped over the root, right? So it's there. I'm just telling you what I know by experience. And it's a walk with the Lord. And there's hope in that. The gospel's all about hope. In fact, Isaiah 58, 11 says, the Lord will guide you always, always. He'll satisfy your needs, Psalm 32 says it this way. God says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. We don't have to be misguided. Ephesians 2.10 says we're God's workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he prepared in advance for us to do. So God has a plan for us. Success is not spelled M-O-N-E-Y. It's not spelled F-A-M-E. It's spelled O-B-E-D. I-E-N-C-E. I can't believe I did that. It's not in my notes. I was like, wow, I'm, I'm going to really boff this. It's obedience. It's obedience. It's living in such a way that brings glory to God in all that we do. That is success in the kingdom of God. So let me invite you into some introspection this morning as we move to close. Are you coming to God to be fulfilled or to be filled? I know that sounds like semantics. When we come to God to be fulfilled, we're coming with our agenda. We're coming with some things that we want or we desire. We say, Lord, do this for me. When we come to the Lord to be filled, we're just coming to the Lord empty, saying, I'm empty, I just need you. I just need you. I don't have an agenda, I just need you, right? Are you coming to be fulfilled or are you coming to be filled? It's the same question. Do you, do you believe in God or do you believe God, right? Do you believe in God? <laughs> James says, that's great. Even the demons believe in God and they, they, they tremble, they shudder at the thought of him. But do you believe God? When he speaks, he's given his word, he's revealed himself, do you believe him? That's a different reality, right? Are you trusting in God for something you want or are you just trusting God? So these six weeks are about as we, as we journey into 2019 together, we just need to rally around this concept again, what it means to trust God. I'm not trusting in him for something I want. I'm just, I'm just trusting him. I'm just coming to be filled. One approach to life keeps me at the center and the other one recognizes that God is the center. 
Trust him and don't lean on your own understanding. I read this story this week that I thought was just a beautiful, a beautiful analogy of this reality. In 1855, a man named Charles Blondin, who was an acrobat and a tightrope walker, claimed that he could walk from one side of Niagara Falls to the other side on a rope. And some people thought it was impossible. Uh, without a net, the crossing obviously is treacherous at best. But the crowds paid good money to come and watch him. We, we, love, we love a spectacle and the possibility of someone's going to be maimed or die. I don't know what's wrong with us. But they, they came out and, of course, they... You know, he's standing there getting them riled up before the, before the walk across Niagara Falls. And, and, and Charles Blondin says, do you believe that I can walk across to the other side? And the crowd said, we believe. And he said, do you believe that I can walk across this rope with someone on my back? And the crowd said, we believe. And he said, who will volunteer? <laughs> and there was just like, you could, if, you could hear a pin drop, except Niagara Falls is really loud, so you couldn't hear a pin drop. But so, so there was just like this awkward moment of silence and nobody's moving and nobody wants to raise their hand. And from the back, one man raised his hand. He said, I will, I will go with you. And it was uh, Harry Colcord, Blondin's manager. He trusted this man with all of his heart. He trusted in his strength and ability with all his heart. And, and, and they actually made it across. He carried him on his back all the way across Niagara Falls, walking on a rope. Now, here's why I... I I put that story in my sermon because it's a great illustration of trying to navigate this life. It's like trying to cross Niagara Falls on, on a tightrope, right? It's treacherous. It's exceptionally dangerous to our souls. And when we attempt it in our own wisdom, leaning on our own understanding, failing to acknowledge God in all of our ways, we're going to head for certain disaster. We're headed for trouble. And just like Blondin's manager, we got to climb onto the back of our Heavenly Father and trust Him and trust His strength and trust His ability with all of our hearts if we're going to get through. We've got to trust Him with all of our hearts. My friend John Waller wrote a song many years ago on his 2011 album, As For Me In My House. The song's called Count It All, and I wanted to share the lyrics with you as we close this morning. This is what he wrote. The song says, I surrender it all. I lay it before you. For all of my days, I'll give you the glory. You caused me to see that my heart is divided. Lord, take all of me because I have decided all I've got, all I am, all my dreams, all my plans, I'm holding back. I'm holding nothing back from you. And he continues. He says, whatever it takes, I trust you completely. I'm here in your hands if you need to break me. I just wonder this morning if your hearts would resonate with those words. If you'd say to the Lord, I surrender it all. I lay it before you. You've caused me to see that my heart is divided. Lord, take all of me because I have decided I'm holding nothing back from you. That, that's a heart reflecting back the truth of this passage in Proverbs. A heart that's not holding anything back from the Lord, but that's fully committed, fully yielded to God and his kingdom purposes. A life that has denied self-sufficiency. A life that has embraced a God dependency and a life that has developed a disciplined consistency. You see, God's not going to be satisfied till he has all of you. Till he has all of you. And I just invite you this morning to relent and surrender again, or, or maybe for the first time, as we pray together. Lord, thank you for the privilege of coming into your presence to worship you with your people. I pray, Lord, we wouldn't go out of here today satisfied with the feels. Just, just man, that was great. That just excited my heart. But that we would really desire 
at the deepest level of who we are, intimacy with you. And we know, Lord, from your word that the only way we get that is to yield to you, is to submit ourselves to you, to come under your will and your ways. And and that's exactly what Proverbs has been saying to us today. Lord, give us the strength uh, in our hearts to to do what is counterintuitive to our flesh and to die to self and to live for Christ. And Lord, we just invite you to come and do that work in us again afresh, even as we sing in these moments. Lord, work in our hearts, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.